With Refactor, we give the floor to the awesome and diverse people who make up tech. Take a listen to get incredible insight and glimpses into our future of work. We have the pleasure today to be with Ryan Burgess from Netflix. Uh, Ryan is a software engineering manager at Netflix. Uh, he's been doing that for the last past six years, I think. Yeah. And you're Canadian. So, I am. Um, and uh, you started uh, your career in 2006. Um, something like that. Something like that. I'm like, wow, I'm impressed. You did your research. I'm like, I don't even know. So that, that's great. I love it. How, how was how the, the web back then? Oh, man, it was it was a different web. I mean, I remember when I started, we were doing table layouts like that was that's a long time ago. And, you know, we weren't using divs. Um, Flash was a big thing. I was doing a ton of Flash action script, action script two, three. Um, it was interesting. Uh, I would say that when I think of starting my career, I spent more of my time in Flash than I did on the web. And then, of course, started to pivot towards doing more web. And even the JavaScript back then was not yeah. the JavaScript that we're used to now. jQuery. Yeah, no, but even even before that, like, I feel like... Ajax. Yeah, and there was just, like, inline JavaScript that you were doing to just do minimal things, like drop-down menus, or you just use it, like, sparingly. It just wasn't used that often. And and then things like jQuery, I think jQuery changed the game for, for JavaScript. It made it a lot more accessible across the various browsers. And, and that's when I would say JavaScript really kicked off because you yeah. weren't having to try and support weird nuances between the browsers. jQuery did that for you. And uh, so you, you're from Canada and, uh, and, and you, you, you moved to the Bay Area. Um, I did. What was um, the most striking change in culture and way of life? In and why did you move also? Oh, yeah, that's question. a good one, too. Um, I mean, come on, Canada is cold. <laughs> uh, moving to the Bay Area, you're in California, it's a lot better. I mean, that wasn't really the full reason why I moved, but I definitely have become weak for the cold. I'm like, I, I can't go back to Canada now um, and deal with that. But um, the main reason I had moved was more for the jobs. I, I was working in Toronto and a lot of the work in Toronto at the time, it's probably changed a little bit, was a lot of like agency work. And so I worked at some, like doing some amazing projects for amazing clients, but I really wanted to do more, not necessarily like the startup style things, but I wanted to work on products that you continue to innovate on, right? Like working at an agency, you get to work on some cool things, you ship it, and then you're on to the next thing, which is fine. But I always felt like, oh, you could be doing this, this, and this to make it even better. And there was like, you just didn't get that opportunity to iterate. And so my wife and I decided let's move to the Bay Area. And that's what we did. And so we've been in the Bay Area for about eight years now. Um, it's just been great. I don't plan on, on moving or definitely not moving back to Canada. And please don't please don't try and make me speak like poor poor French like not even if we, I was oh, yeah. good at French like oh, <laughs> in fact we wanted that I mean, yeah we wanted <laughs> I I knew, I'm like I'm speaking with people from France like it's not my my French is poor as it is like it should be better for Canada and then of course I know 
you know, the the Montreal type French is not the exact same. The way I will pronunciate things is not going to be great. <laughs> we like Canadian. We like, we really like it. Um, and you joined Netflix uh, seven years ago. The prior to that, you were or just about six. Yeah, just six about year. six years ago. Yeah. When I first moved to the Bay Area, I joined Evernote, which is a startup in the Bay Area. Um, I'm sure a lot of people are familiar with the app uh, that they've built uh, for taking notes and keeping track of things. And so I did that for almost two years, I think it was, that I was at Evernote before moving to, to Netflix. What, was, uh, what were the... Um... I suppose the difference uh, between uh, Evernote and Netflix uh, are kind of big. Uh, yeah. What do, you, what do you think about uh, in terms of difference? Because we're gonna we're gonna tackle the Netflix culture, which is very peculiar, very specific to Netflix. And um, but how was Evernote and and the difference between the two companies, if you can recall? Yeah, I mean, Evernote was a great company. When I joined too, it was like, it was one of those things, like I was using the app and, and here I am talking to this company that I'm like, wow, this is amazing. Um, I really love the product. And, and that, that to me is important is like, especially speaking to why I was wanting to move over to product was like iterating on it and, and doing that type of work. Um, it was an interesting company. It was smaller, obviously, compared to something like Netflix. Uh, still had that startup mentality. You were moving really quickly. Um, I feel like I was one of the first like dedicated front end engineers, even like that wasn't when I joined, it was a lot of um, back end or full stack uh, engineers that were dabbling in, in the front end. So that was cool, uh, starting to set like best practices and things that were really focused on front end. And it was at Evernote that I actually got thrown into management. It was literally like one day they're like, here, you're now the manager of this team, which is cool. I, I mean, I was a lead front end engineer. I'd been doing a lot of like leading, but not necessarily dedicated direct reports. And it wasn't something I'd been opposed to, but it, it did just kind of happen. And so I had to jump in and figure it out and started to really enjoy it. And so, Netflix, when they were reaching out to me, they'd reached out a few times, but I was a little hesitant to move. I love Netflix and all the things they were doing, but I was really enjoying the work at Evernote. But also the commute was a big one for me. I live in San Francisco. Netflix is in Los Gatos. So for people that aren't familiar with the Bay Area, it's about uh, about a 40 minutes drive south of um, San Francisco. So I was like, nah, I don't want to do that commute. And It took uh, my one director convincing me that uh, he he'd been doing the commute um, from San Francisco to Los Gatos and he kind of talked through it. And I knew I'd met a lot of the engineers at Netflix over the years at various conferences and and been speaking with them. And I loved what they were doing. So it was it was an easy selling point, but I had to get over the hurdle of the actual commute. Which now, looking back on, I mean, right now we're not commuting, obviously, with uh, the, with COVID going on, it's a little bit different. But even that, I kind of missed the commute because we had shuttles that were taking us back and forth. And I got, I'm so productive on the shuttle. I'm able to work on the shuttle. We have Wi-Fi. It, it, it's pretty great. Um, so it didn't take me long to actually appreciate the commute, which is funny that it, it kind of was preventing me for a bit. Um, but what really sold me on Netflix was the A-B testing culture. Like 
the constantly iterating and being very data driven. And, and that was something that I was implementing at Evernote while I was there was pushing to do more AB tests. And it was, it was earlier in, in, uh, uh, Evernote. So that was something just doing all the AB testing at scale. It's just ingrained in the culture of how much is done and they've built the services around AB testing. Like that to me is really, really cool. And so that was really appealing for me to, um, move over to Netflix. So you don't you don't launch uh, any new UI UX uh, decision or project without thinking A/B test, right? Correct. Like it's very rare to to ship something without some sort of an A/B test, just with variations and trying to understand that. Um, even if it was just one feature that you were launching, it's like one cohort may not even have the feature, and so you're trying to understand that. And I, I think it's great because you can ask your users what they want. And, and that's a great way. We do a lot of like qualitative research to learn and understand like how they're using the product. And that can really help inform uh, what you put out there as a feature. But getting that data-driven uh, mentality is, is so useful. Like sometimes someone will tell you they want something, but they don't quite want it, right? Because it's like, we're all, we're all thinking that we need something and then it may not be exactly what we explain. And so it's really cool to actually leverage the data to, to make those decisions. To catch up with our uh, listeners, uh, you were working at Netflix into the acquisition UI team uh, with the sign up flows and all the other yep. screens when you, the user is signing in, uh, in and uh, is logging, et cetera, et cetera. So I suppose when you do A-B testing on that, you provide a set of uh, a set of users with with one set of screens and the other uh, other other screens other UX so that you can figure out what which UX is uh, is 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 like performing better. better. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Essentially, what you're doing is you're trying to make a better user experience, right? And so you. On that sign up flow we're constantly iterating on it like how do you even just like as we're in newer countries like different payment methods different ways of registering like maybe you know email passwords not the best thing or just tons of different things of how you even talk to what is netflix right and especially as we launched like when i was at netflix we went global right and so we we're in all these different markets that may not have as much understanding as what Netflix is like people still sign up in the US and there's a lot more understanding of like what actually is Netflix and what am I signing up for and so even how you're like selling it to like what's the value propositions what's the right uh, tiering methods because you can pay different amount for different features and so all those types of things are really interesting to try and understand what's the right thing for the right market and iterating on that which is really cool and the nice thing too that I always loved um, about the acquisition UI team is it's cross-platform so we're building those experiences for iOS Android web and TV, which is TV is a unique beast too. that not a lot like that wasn't I'd done a little bit of TV work, I guess, in my past, but it's not something that on a lot of products like at Evernote, there's not a TV app. So you're, you're not spending a lot of time on TV. So I always thought that was really cool, too. Yeah. And TV is like the central part of Netflix. I mean, it's uh... totally. Yeah. But I mean, people watch on their browser, people watch on uh, their mobile device. So it's, you know, it's great to be cross platform. And then uh, I think recently you you moved uh, you moved towards an, a new position at Netflix, 
where you are more of an infrastructure tooling environment and providing tools for developers uh, at Netflix. Um, it's kind of strange because you were front-end uh, software engineer and then you moved yeah. to something which is uh, which seems not to be uh, your your domain of expertise, or maybe your comfort zone. You're getting out of your comfort zone. So Absolutely. how is that? How is that that you move um, uh, you move towards uh, this position? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I mean, yeah, it's been in it's the productivity engineering org that I'm in now, which is in our platform org uh, at Netflix. It was something absolutely you've hit it well is like a lot of my background is coming from a lot of front end UI. I mean, I've done back end work in the past, but majority of it has been stuck to the front end. And to me, what I was looking for was just, you know, I'd been in the acquisition UI team for just over five years. Things were great. Like, I love that team and all the work that we were doing, especially like I mentioned, like AB testing was a big portion of why I went to, to work on that product. And I just needed something different, some just new challenges. And I started talking with different uh, teams across Netflix, which it's great. Like we, it's a big enough company that you can try and find different challenges. And so that's what I was doing. I was looking for different things. And what really spoke to me about um, the productivity engineering org was a lot of the skill sets that I bring as a leader was needed on that team. But I also love the mission. You're, you're essentially making tools, infrastructure, um, whatever it may be uh, that our teams do. To it, The goal is to make things easier for all engineers at Netflix, which is so cool. So it's like, you know, if it's a pipeline that needs to be more performant or we should add in different tools to make things just a little bit easier on engineers across the company. That's what we're doing. And to me, that's super exciting. Like I love making productivity, even for myself, if I can cut some corners, automate something that's exciting. And so hearing more about this team, I was like, I need to go there. Like that, that sounds really cool, but you're right. It's, it's a little out of my domain of expertise. I don't think leading necessarily, like I think a lot of what I do as a manager and think about as, as growing people and investing in, in my team and hiring, all those practices get carried over. But there are some things in the domain that I'm learning, which is really cool. I love that. Like, I feel like you should always be learning and, and being challenged. So that, that's been really cool. Are there some elements of DevRel in your current position? Because basically you're also working for developers. So maybe there are bridges to this new job that is DevRel developer advocate because you you work for them you try to find the best tools to make their them productive and so do you find some common elements with devrel maybe a little bit i think of devrel is a lot of um if we had external facing tools is mm -hmm. you got to go and speak at conferences sure. or you know help build workshops and things to get people using your tool and understanding that and so there's a little bit of that notion is like our customers, like you said, our customers are the engineers across Netflix that those are our customers, which is really cool too. Is like when I think about being back in acquisition UI, I can talk to some Netflix customers, but the volume is it's too hard to talk to everyone, obviously. Um, so you don't get the ease of talking to your customers versus like, I literally can go talk to my customers. They are employees at Netflix now that I'm in the productivity side. So that's interesting in itself too. 
but it has its challenges as well where you need to understand like someone's going to come to you and like their problem is the most important everyone's problem is the most important so you have to really think holistically you know what's the most impactful thing that you and your team can be spending time on what are you really trying to solve it kind of gets back to that qualitative uh ask that we have even on our customers some people will ask for something but you need to really tr- like understand like what are they asking for and like what will really help and solve that problem not just like hey if we had this tool that would make our lives easier it's really trying to understand the problem so i think there's a little bit of element of that where it's like you're, you're really tr- invested in your customers and trying to understand like what are you trying to solve how do you make their life easier like how do you educate them on on the tool that you may have built or infrastructure that's changed and so there is a, a little bit of that i would say your customers are developers maybe that's a absolutely uh, yes. common point and yeah. uh a few days ago i saw you posted a video uh, about um uh software uh, sorry engineering management basically you said that um engineering managers should not code. And so that was really interesting. I mean, that's a big debate and I would really love to have your, your take on that. Yeah, it's, it's funny too, is it because it did stem from a few of us uh, leaders, not in Netflix, but even external uh, friends that I have at work at different companies. And I noticed that there's, this is a d- debate I've seen many, many times of like, should engineering managers code? And I put up the stance on my video, no, like you should absolutely not code. With caveats to that too, is like, I know a couple people added in like, well, I mean, you, you could code external, like on side projects and things like that. Absolutely. Like I still love coding. Like that's why I got into this job. It, it didn't, wasn't like, I want to be a manager of engineers. Like it started out, I want to build things. And so my point of the video though, is I don't think you should be in the critical path. You shouldn't be coding um, in building features. And I've tried it. I made the mistake like when I was first at Evernote, I was trying to juggle both roles. And I don't think I was good at either. Here I am like a strong engineer, but I'm pulled into being a manager and I'm a new manager. So I need to learn that. And so I'm not really doing a good job of being a manager or an engineer for my team. And it, it it's like the whole point of it is I want to support my team. And that's what I thought I was doing was taking on extra work so that I could support them. And so they weren't overloaded with the feature requests and things like that. But in the long run, I think what a manager should be doing in their spare time, if they have some, like if there's downtime from meetings is thinking about the team, what can you be investing in, in the future? How are you thinking about hiring for your team, investing in building strong networks? It's not about like, well, I have some downtime. I can build this feature that's sitting on our backlog. And I think to me that that was really what I want to get across is that I think there's, you need to think like a manager and being in the code is not helping. It also takes away from the potential of what engineers on your team can be owning and doing like you want them to be strong in the code base and you're further removed you're gonna think that you're making good decisions but they're you're not in it day in day out so i think that that helps too is that just to put trust in the engineers on your team and and help build that trust with them and allow them to really flex their muscles on the code base you have to give them ownership basically so that absolutely like evolve. Yeah, yeah exactly. And and let them make those decisions and make informed decisions. You know, you can help those decisions by asking questions to poke on things and make sure that we're headed in the right direction. But like my team doesn't want me coming in and saying like, oh, you know, we should use this framework or we should use this framework or this pattern will be better here. You should adopt this because I may 
I may ask those types of questions, but like, I don't want to be picking at nitpicking at every little thing that to me is micromanaging. That's mm. far from what I want to be doing. Mm. And I'm sure my team doesn't either. It's a good transition towards, uh, what is the culture at Netflix? Uh, we, we, we've both read, um, uh, the no rules rules book, uh, by Reed Hastings and, and Erin Mayer. And, and uh, we know about this very uh, specific culture in net, at Netflix. Um, how, when you first, when, when you had your first day at Netflix, how did you feel that new culture you were entering? It was, it was like, was it even um, conscious or, or, or you just uh, begin to learn it on the way uh, down the road or, Oh, was it striking to you? Oh. Yeah. So, I mean, the Netflix culture is, it's been published like for years and, and it's, it's iterated over time too. Freedom which I love and, and responsibility. Freedom right? and responsibility absolutely is like the, the main crux of it. And, and there's other elements to it as well. But I remember reading the culture, used the, back then it was a culture deck of like 130, 150 slides. I can't remember exact. It, it was large, but I mean, there were really small snippets. And I remember flipping through it and going like, wow, sign me up. Like I was so pumped on it. Um, and then my question was like, even when interviewing was how true is this? Like, it, it was almost like I'm sold. Like I want to be involved in this, but it seemed pure marketing or is exactly. it like, exactly, do you do it? Uh, really? I mean, really doing it. Right. Yeah. And so that was like. I'm going to be a little bit skeptical of that. Right. And so jumping in and I remember the first few weeks or whatever it was, was just being blown away was like, yeah, this is lived and breathed. Like that whole comment of freedom and responsibility, you hear it, you hear it and you see it often. Like people are like making decisions and making informed decisions that like, it doesn't matter who you are. You can be an engineer, you can be a VP, you could be, it doesn't matter. You're thinking about what's best for Netflix and trying to make a responsible decision forward. And so I was seeing that practice. I still like, it's ingrained in me. Like, I feel like that culture um, is practiced so much. And now when people ask me, how true is it? I'm usually around the like 85, 90% uh, mark is, and the reason I say that I just don't believe that you can always be a hundred percent perfect. And so that, but to me, I would say we live and breathe that culture uh, to the fullest. And I've seen it iterated on while I've been there too, which has been great. Like diversity inclusion has been a big ad since I've been there. And I think to me, that is, I was so happy to see that we're taking a stance and saying like, we care about this and like, how do we make a more inclusive environment and, you know, allow people to do their best work. And that to me is awesome. Uh, so I've, I also like that. It's not like, Hey, we built this great culture and it's perfect. No, 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 no. It's iterative. And it's like, we can adjust and we're going to figure things out. Um, here's what we think is best for us right now. And how do we iterate forward? So freedom and responsibility, it's, uh, can you tell us a bit more what it is? Because it's kind what of vague, big, Absolutely. wide. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a lot in the decision-making. So let's take it from an engineering standpoint. Um, maybe you want to change like a new pattern or, or implement a new framework on, on your code base. Um, perfect example. Like you want to start adopting TypeScript. All right. That sounds like why, like, why are you wanting to do that? And you, you could just go implement it in, into the code base. 
Um, that's one step of doing that. But you also want people to buy into it, right? And you want to, so rather than just going and throwing in TypeScript in, in the code base, it's thinking about maybe it's putting together a, like a memo or doc of like, here's why I think we should do this. And, and the reason this one comes top of mind is there was an engineer on my team. She was passionate about putting TypeScript in, in the code base. And I'm like, great, you're the informed captain for that. Now let's think about the responsibility aspect of like, think about the concerns. How are we going to implement it? You know, there are people on the team that were like, yeah, I don't think we should have TypeScript. And so it's like, go spend time with them, understand why, like, what are their concerns and how do we maybe mitigate some of those concerns? Cause some of them can be addressed. And so you have a lot of these types of conversations and you kind of weigh the pros and cons. Ultimately you, she was the informed captain. And that's where I think the cool piece of it is freedom responsibility is I'm not making that decision for her. The rest of the team isn't, you know, it doesn't have to go through a VP or director level to, to make this decision she can just do that. But she did the responsible thing is going and making sure that she was thinking through all the different risks and, and, and that and just addressing them. And I'm sure there's things that weren't perfect. Like there's never a perfect way to get all the concerns addressed. Um, but it's also calling those out is like, hey, we still are at risk for X, Y, and Z. This might be slowing build times or whatever it might be. Uh, but you kind of speak to that and you're just really bringing people along the journey. And so that to me is one really great example of it. Uh, of just thinking about what's best for Netflix and best for the team and taking that approach. So it's a way to um, stimulate communication between teams, have a wider, bigger, bigger picture of the overall problematic and kind of reach a consensus uh, to be able to move forward for the company, right? Something yeah, like and that. I wouldn't even say that it's necessarily reaching consensus. Like, it's not like we like, you know, tally up a vote or anything like that. Because um, you're, you're never going to get consensus or, or perfect. That's, that's for sure. Um, but you gather a lot of that information to try and make the best decision forward. And, and sometimes we make mistakes too. Like, that's okay. Um, I think also... I mean, I've made so many mistakes. It's great. Uh, you, you learn from it too, right? Like you, you kind of think about it and go, well, maybe we shouldn't have taken this approach and here's why, um, here's what I, how I did it and maybe how I'm going to approach it differently in the future. And I think that, uh, vulnerability too, that I've seen people share of like mistakes they've made helps us get better too. Is like, if I made a mistake and I can share it with my team or colleagues, it, it's like, we all get better from it. It's like a learning that's now broadly shared versus like, Ooh, I'm embarrassed to share it. I mean, maybe part of my ego is a little bit, but like, it's okay. It's like, let's talk this through and, and how can we learn from it? It's a very important point about the Netflix culture to be able to candidly, uh, show you mistakes and, and kind of Absolutely. share it, share it with, uh, with your fellows and with your colleagues at every level, right? Absolutely. Every level. Like I've seen, even just joining uh, the new productivity engineering org, one of my first leadership meetings, um, the director who runs productivity engineering, he was sharing like a couple mistakes. Like it was just like their regular uh, weekly leadership meeting. And he brought up some mistake that he'd made the previous week and just the vulnerability that he shared. Like I was blown away. I was just like, I loved it. Like just jumping in and it's like that, that wasn't, didn't even need to be shared in some ways, right? Like he was drawing attention to something that he could have done better. And it was so great to hear that vulnerability. Um, for me, I'm like, wow, it's a safe space. I can share that. But I also learned, I'm like, wow, okay. Like 
I won't make that mistake either. And I'm hearing how he's thinking through that. And so it's just, it's practiced at, at all levels. I've seen, you know, all the way up to Reed, our CEO, I have absolutely heard him say, I made a mistake. Here's yeah. how I'm addressing it. It's really cool. I have a, a very important question that is uh, behind my mind. Um, when there is an after Netflix for you or for like every, how do you, how do you call them in intern? It's Netflixer? No, it's how do you, you have Googlers, you have, there is no term, right? I don't know no. if we have a term. Well, yeah. Okay. I, that's, that's an employee. That, I don't know. Yeah. No, but when you have, uh, when you move toward uh, another job one day, um, wouldn't it be difficult to get rid of all these things, which are obviously not present in most of the companies? I mean, feedback, transparency, uh, being able to candidly say you're wrong and freedom and responsibility. And there is, there is no such thing in many, many, many companies. So have you thought about this? Oh, many times. Um, so much so that even when I was starting to look for new challenges internally, I was interviewing at, or like interviewing with different teams or trying to understand like, what are they working on and where's the best fit for me? It may also made sense to look externally, even though I knew it was a really gonna be a hard sell for me, but it's like, I gotta do my due diligence too, is like, what's right for my, the next challenges for me and my career? And it was hard, like I, I actually had some really good interviews and, and some good uh, opportunities that I was excited about, but it was so hard to give up the culture. And I'm so thankful in many ways too, that I found something that I was super passionate about in the productivity engineering space and being able to jump into that. But I wanted to like get a broad set of it, but yes, the culture is really, really hard for me to like think about dealing with some of the, even the red tape of like, there's things that I just want to go do and, and think is best for Netflix, I can make that decision and go do them. It's not like I have to go and check all the boxes to make sure that I've, you know, got approval from all the places and I can just go do that. That to me is so empowering. Yeah. Is it, isn't the biggest proof, uh, the fact that you've been at Netflix for over six years now? Absolutely. Yeah. Like that to me is bizarre. I mean, it's bizarre in tech, like for you to yeah. stay at a company a long time, but I look at my career probably the longest I stay and I've been at various companies over the years, it's like two years, like two and a half max, because oftentimes I'm moving because I need new challenges. And, you know, it just feels like it's time to go. And with Netflix, even in my, even the fact that my last role before was I was in the same role for five years, like in the same team, what I always am looking for is, am I challenged? Am I growing and am I able to keep iterating on that? And like, to me, that was continually happening. It still would, even if I stayed in that role, I still think there's still challenges that I would be growing and learning. It just felt like a time where I was like, all right, I need an even more drastic change. Um, so yes, six years to me is a long time. And even to asking like, what about thinking about another role? I'm not thinking of that right now. Who knows? It could be like the perfect role might steal me away. You just never know. And I think you should be open to opportunities, but I'm so happy with where things are at right now. I love my team that I'm on. And then just also the, the culture is, is just really, really empowering. In terms of um, hiring new um, employees, new talents, um, is, it, is it also difficult for Netflix or do you have kind of your culture is so awesome that you have a lot of talents who are 
jumping in and you have so many different applications and or are you struggling to find the right talents? Are you struggling to recruit? Because, I mean, tech is kind of difficult to find new talents, but with such a culture, with such a um, visibility, in t I mean, Netflix is global and it's uh, very seen and it's one of the biggest co company in the world. And in, in my mind, I, 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 I said to myself, it shouldn't be so difficult for them to hire great talents, but I may be wrong. I think it's challenging with any company. I mean, in so tech even for, especially. Even for, even for Netflix, it's challenging. Yeah, I, I mean, I think it's, it's the reason why is there's so many great opportunities. I mean, I love that in tech we're in demand. That's awesome. Like, we just got to say, like, that is an amazing place to be in is that people are, so, like, looking for talent. Like, you, you get emails from companies, like, looking for you and, and, like, reaching out to you. You're not even, like, applying. And so there's a lot of great opportunities. And so you're, you're competing with that. And yes, Netflix culture is amazing. We're working on great things, but there's still so many other great places and, and things to work on. And so I, I, I don't think it's necessarily like the hardest thing, but it is, it's like you, it takes work. Maybe that's a better way to put it is it takes effort. And like, I'm constantly thinking about how do I build a strong, uh, engineering team and how do I think about building a diverse inclusive team too is thinking about like what's missing on my team and, and who you know whose opinion or thoughts are bringing a different perspective to the team and so I think like you're constantly building networks and thinking about like who's going to be the right fit um, also they may not be able to move right like now Netflix is, is being a lot more open to being remote, which is great. That opens up to me, like opens up a lot of candidate pools of people who, who could potentially be strong engineers at, at working for Netflix. But for the longest time, we were hiring to be work in the Bay Area. And you think about that, not everyone can move. Like, yes, Netflix will help with move you and, and do all that, but like you might have family ties or who knows the reasons why you can't move. Or maybe you're just like, I don't want to live in the Bay Area. It doesn't matter. There's a lot of reasons out there. And I'll talk to candidates there. That that's a non-starter. And so they might be an amazing uh, person for your team, but it just might not be a fit. I was wondering, do you sometimes uh, stumble upon like great engineers, but uh, that you feel will not fit the Netflix culture? Does that sometimes happen? Yeah, I mean, it, it does happen. And like, it's not the culture of like, I've heard, I always hate like when you like do culture checks, like when any t someone says that, it's like, it always makes me think of the like, can I have a beer with them? It's like, no, like that's not what we're looking for is like, we, we need to be able to work together and collaborate and be strategic. Um, I think a lot of times when I think about engineers who may not fit the culture is I'm checking for being able to work in an ambiguous environment. So I'm not going to be very prescriptive on, on my team and neither are a lot of leaders where I'm like, here's the task list that we need to get done. Part of being a, like owner and informed captain on, on the work that you're doing is you're owning that too. It's like, I'm not coming in every day and saying like, stand up here. We need to do these uh, types of tasks and get them done. You know, so-and-so you go do this. So-and-so you go do that. It, it's a lot of being empowered and working in an ambiguous environment means that you are collaborating with a lot of people, talking with different people. And sometimes like some people are just like, that doesn't work for them. They'd rather have the like, tell me what to do and I'll execute well on it. 
that often doesn't work that well. Like I just haven't seen, sometimes people get used to the, hey, I can, I like this ambiguous environment. I just haven't had the ability to do that before. That's one thing, but I have seen it where people won't. Um, or you have people that are arrogant or jerks, like that can happen too. <laughs> we do not want to hire brilliant jerks. I've definitely met people who are like super talented, but like, it, it goes back to the collaboration. Like you want to be able to collaborate together and be humble. Like you're working with a lot of great talented people. You're talented too. How do we work together? And so those are some of the things that I think about when hiring, but yeah, it's like the whole like culture check is always like, it just sometimes feels weird when companies say that, but it's more about to me is like the collaboration is probably the most best way to frame it. The soft skills. I mean, you mean the yeah. soft skills, like being, not yeah, being exactly. a jerk, like being and I mean, even communication is important too, is like, how are you communicating your ideas and not just like verbal, but like written or, you know, how are you working and collaborating that way too? Is like, I talked about the, um, engineer who had introduced TypeScript in our code base. It was like, she had to, you know, communicate that with various team members, or she wrote a whole memo, bringing people along for that journey, giving samples of, of the code. And, and so I think that like that demonstrated to me is like, she, she didn't have a prescriptive way of like, here's how you execute and, and put something in the code base. There's not a written map for that. It's like she had to figure that out and decide what worked best, um, which is really cool. Yes, I was thinking about um, feedback. Um, I mean, I was thinking about feedback and also was thinking at the same time about code reviews. Um, because the way you receive, because there is a way to receive and give feedback the way there is a way to to push something in the code base to propose a code uh, um, a pull request and there is also a way to give the feedback on the code uh, on the pull request how 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 do you learn to give feedback the best way and to receive also feedback is it something that you struggled with or is it something that just came naturally with you uh, and I don't know if the analogy with uh, pull request are, is good. I think so. Um, because some developers and some software engineers are not taking the good way uh, pull request and comments and feedback. And some of them also obviously are not giving the feedback the right way that should, it should be gi given, you know? So how, yeah. do you, how do you think about that? Oh, it's such a good one. And, and yes, our culture is so much like give feedback and cause like the whole point of feedback is because it's, it's difficult, not... you know, uh, especially in, in France, for instance, I know that, you know, we have difference in terms of culture. Absolutely. Um, in France, we used to, uh, give right direct to the point feedback, which right. can be very harsh, can be yep. very rough, you know? And I know that in the U.S. or Anglo-Saxon uh, culture, it's much more like you have a diplomatic way of, uh, of, of, of doing feedbacks, you know, and that is to say you, you, you say it's good and then and you, you, you approach something by saying a lot of good things and then one other, you know, Crit the, fe the feedback sandwich, yeah. right? It's like, yeah. yeah. Um, I would say we are, we tend to lean more on the direct feedback, but or that's like what I admire is like just be open, honest. Like the reason why we are giving feedback, it's not to make someone feel lousy or you know to hurt their feelings or anything. We're giving feedback to help each other. Like when someone gives me feedback, 
I look at it as a gift. It's like, great. Like, how can I improve on that? How do I understand that? I don't think there's a perfect way to give or receive feedback. It's something that you learn and grow. And, and I think like, I still don't feel like I'm perfect at it. Like, it, cause it's so different in every scenario. Let's say for the pull request example, um, that's, that's written often, right? And sometimes written through Slack or email or a pull request can be really difficult to understand. Like the way I write something might be interpreted different. I think giving it verbally back and forth is a lot easier because you can, you can start to understand like how the person's receiving it and maybe tweak how you're providing the feedback. So sometimes I'll even encourage engineers to go talk with one another on, on a pull request is like, go through the review and talk through that too, is maybe you're giving feedback to a, a different way of doing something like a pattern. And it's like feedback that you're providing. It's not a blocker. It's not to say like, Hey, you can't ship this unless you change this, but it's like maybe in the next time, or maybe like following up as like cleaning up some of the code base, maybe we could tweak this to be more consistent with the pattern that we're using over here in the code base. Like, I think there's, there's no right way to do it. We are humans, right? We are, we're not very binary. It's not just true or false of giving feedback and everyone deals with it differently. And so you, you have to really build and flex that muscle or it, it tends to go away. So you just kind of keep doing it and it's ingrained. Like I think about what is important about feedback is in the moment feedback. Like I don't want to hold on to something six months later and go, Hey, Pierre, I had this feedback for you. Um, I think you could have done better on this presentation six months ago. Uh, yeah. When was it? I cannot remember exactly. what are you talking about. And, and so there's times where you're just thinking about that of like, when's the right time and giving in the moment feedback. Um, maybe it's also sometimes like I will receive feedback or give feedback to my team that you don't even realize you're getting feedback because it's like, it's so frequent and it's, it's not harsh. It's just literally like, oh yeah, I think we could have done better there. What do you think? And talking through that, um, we're, we're ultimately trying to make each other be better at the work that we're doing. Does it happen sometimes that, uh, one of your employee is getting some is deriving from, from the heading in terms of maybe it's just like becoming a jerk or because, you know, sometimes you're not good in your personal life. Sometimes you're dealing with bad stuff. Sometimes you're so, I mean, taking feedback may not be easy at that time at that specific moment and you might not know it and you, and it's just like you give feedback to someone who is not able at the moment to take it the right way right and it's just like misbehaving you know uh in, in and how do how do you deal with like kind of because i assume it seems to me like to be able to get the feedback the right way you need to be kind of well you need to be you know totally mindful and totally in the moment with yourself and you could be sometimes you know how life is you can be just like you're not good with yourself and and you just take i take your feedback uh ryan and he say well go to hell i, I don't care about that i yeah. don't care about yeah. it you know how do you, do you deal with personal matters in terms of which could affect the feedback you know yeah. I mean, like I said, everyone's an individual, right? And so you really have to think about it as how am I delivering this feedback to someone? And, and sometimes like on my team for, for say, like 
I'll, I'll, I've been working with them a lot longer. And, and sometimes I'll even ask, how do you want to receive feedback? That could be simple as like starting to understand how to give and receive feedback with your team on the individual level. And so that can be important, but yeah, you're right. Sometimes someone's just not in the right headspace. So you might even ask like, Hey, I have some feedback. Would you like to talk about it now? Or, or should we meet on the next day? Sometimes it's just even asking those types of things can be helpful rather than just like, I got feedback for you and just delivering it at them. But some people are very like, just give it to me. Like I'm very direct. I want, want the feedback. Let's talk it through immediately. And so to me, it's hard because it, it does come down to that individual level. And I don't know that someone's necessarily having a bad day, a bad week. And so it might be even the crux of the feedback is like they haven't been improved or they haven't delivered something well because these external factors. So even when I'm delivering some feedback, it might be trying to understand like, why is that? Like, that's not normal for you or like, what's up? Like, because there might be other factors that are causing them to not perform at their, their best. We do not all, we're not always going to be the best, right? Like uh, performing at our top, like, especially if COVID has taught us anything, like there is ups and downs constantly. And how do you deal with that? Like when you have maybe a family member sick or, you know, or maybe you're a brand new parent and you have had no sleep and you're getting feedback, like, all these factors, you have to be empathetic to those situations and really trying to understand people on a human level. Talking about uh, COVID-19 and the pandemic and the, the year 2020, which was awful, uh, horrible for everyone on the globe, which is kind of uh, um, very new to have something which is touching literally everyone. Um, how, how did Netflix... Um, uh, get through this year, but the, um, the the shift towards full remote, uh, something I imagine easy because you're all working in tech. So, or most of most of you are working in tech, so it should have been easy. But uh, on the management point of view, on the human point of view, on keeping the link with your people point of view, on psychological issues and mental health, so. All this question every company have had during 2020. I think you also may have had the, these, these uh, issues or this questioning. Yeah, I think it, all, all of us had to figure these things out, like any companies having to deal with it. And yeah, Netflix was no different. Um, a lot of us weren't remote, right? We have offices around the globe, but you all still went into an office and had that you didn't have the um, factors of like kids at home or, you know, juggling double duty. Like I know for the first few months for me, um, I had, I have a, a, my, he's almost four. I have, my son's almost four and he was at home with usually had a nanny, uh, but he didn't have that, right? Like we didn't have a full-time nanny at that time. It was literally like, how do I take care of my son and work? And so my wife and I were juggling working basically working part-time and what i loved about netflix is they were very open and vulnerable about that too is like i was sharing that with my team is like being honest about like hey i'm not going to be able to work full-time here's how i'm managing it but it was a lot of it came down to communicating that like what what can you do and like setting expectations is like i can only take on so much and and everyone being was very okay with that we were just mm. comfortable um, and supporting each other, which I, I really, really appreciated. And 
So it was figuring that out. And like, we weren't that remote of a company. So a lot of people didn't even have equipment at home set up. And, you know, it was just trying to figure, scrambling basically to figure all those things out. And there again, with freedom responsibility is like, you had the freedom to just like, get what you needed at home to help support you. You know, if you needed a desk, get a desk, like expense that. You need an office chair, get that. A monitor, get that. Like what what will make you productive and, and support you on, on your journey of uh, working remote? And I really appreciated that stance. And it wasn't like going through a lot of red tape or hoops to get approval to expense a desk. It was literally like set that up, get it going. You know, that's just the way our culture works. So I think that wasn't new. That was things that you could just do and use your best judgment for that. And I think the culture played really well to that, but it's iterative. There's things that we just, I mean, this is all new. You have things going on externally too, that like you've got the pandemic, then you've got protests going on and people like people or employees are really affected by that too. And how do you deal with that? None of us are prepared for those things. And so I think like trying to just practice empathy as much as possible and just being open and iterative with each other, that, that was all we can do. And I don't think there's a solution perfectly. It's just literally figuring it out as you go. Yeah. Everyone is going back at home uh, and turning the TV on and looking at and watching Netflix. Do you do guys? What, uh, what do you do when you go back home? But uh, I assume you're not, you don't go back home because you're at home right now. Day. Yes. <laughs> yeah. When you're in your living room, you turn on the TV and you watch what? I watch Netflix. Netflix? Yeah, a lot. Um, I mean, I watch other platforms too. It's like, I, yeah, but it's like for competition. you just try to see what are they doing well? Uh, maybe, U I mean, you're, you're, you're always thinking about that, but I mean, it's content, right? We all love content. I, I watch Netflix way before I joined Netflix and love so the you content. Keep, you keep on, you keep on watching. I mean, you're Absolutely. not fed up and you're, no. you're just say, I don't want, I don't want to talk about Netflix. I just like, no, it's definitely not one of those. And even like in the, in my personal life is like people find out you work at Netflix and it's, it's always this positive notion. They're like, oh, I love Netflix. And then it's like, we get to talk about content and things like that. So no, I, I'm not tired of it. I just, now I just consider myself, I should be getting paid to watch Netflix, right? Like that's, uh, I'm <laughs> testing the product. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it should should be considered like open working. Exactly. Hours, I'm just right? so which is yeah. sad. I'm probably working all the time because I do really yeah. love to watch a lot of Netflix. <laughs> and um, I have yeah. a question, actually. Uh, do you have anything? Um, do you have any link to the content teams of Netflix? I mean, do those engineering and, and content teams have bridges between them? I mean, do you have something to say about the content or can you push something or? That's a good question. I mean, there's a lot of collaboration with the teams. Um, in my role, both my roles, it was very little, especially if it was like, hey, what type of content are we creating? Like, hey, I, I think we should go and invest in some new thriller. No, that's like, that's, let's leave the content people to say, okay, in reverse, it'd be the same thing as if they were coming to me and telling me the newest framework that they heard about and that, you know, hey, you should use this new framework uh, or pattern. It would be odd. And so you, you put trust in each other that way. Um, but there is cross collaboration. Like even in, in my last team, we were doing things where helping the teams promote where we were actually giving away free content. And so we built a platform around 
um, the ability to watch some, maybe a couple episodes of, of some show without actually having to sign up for Netflix. And, and so there's, there's definitely collaboration between engineering and, and content, which is really cool. But to say that we're like, hey, I, we should invest in this new reality show or whatever, let's let them do their thing and we'll do our thing. And then how do we collaborate together? Makes sense. And how do you, you seem, you seem so passionate about your company. You seem so advocating for your company, for Netflix. How does Netflix, um, I mean, stimulate this advocacy? I mean, how, how do you, with such a big company, um, developer, but employee advocacy is something which is very important for a brand, right? In terms of HR recruiting, for the external communication, for the visibility of the brand, of the company itself, it's, it's very important. How do you guys at Netflix, how are you aware of that fact that advocate for your company is very important? Uh, and there are obviously companies and employees which are pushed to advocate for their company, but there are also employees and company which are so great and which are, as you say at the beginning of our podcast, very true on the front end and on the back end. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's the same. And you naturally came to uh, advocate for your company. How is it? How is it working? Because you have done another podcast with Unicorn Finders. You have done your video. You're very, um, you're very online. You have a very good presence online, and you're you're advocating for Netflix, which is very important for them, I think. Yeah, and it's. I mean, it's not part of my job. I, I think that's the thing. Is like even we spoke about Devrel. Like we don't really have that role externally for Netflix. Like there's not. Like I'm not push they're not like yeah let's get ryan on on a new podcast or um speaking at a conference or any of that we just get to do that like it's just like there goes to the culture is i'm trying to make informed decisions that are best for for me for netflix and thinking about that and even it's not like i'm having to go through a checklist of like pr or anything like that it's use my best judgment and that that's really important but I think about it too, as it speaks maybe to the culture is like, yeah, I'm passionate because I really love that part. Like I love the things that I'm doing and working on. And so it's really easy to talk to those things. Um, I'm not going to go talk about uh, maybe like machine learning, or I'm not going to go talk about like our content and how it's made because I don't know, that's not my expertise. And so that I'm going to talk about things that I'm passionate about on the engineering side and the things that I know and can, you know, can really speak to obviously living the culture, I can speak to my experiences of that too, which is, is great. Um, but yeah, it's not really like pushed on us or anything, but it's not discouraged either, which is great. I think about it. I love the community. Like I love focusing on community and building that and talking with people and helping each other. And so that's something you I should mention. I'm, I should mention that you have a podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Content. So even that's a good example. Yeah. Like front end happy hour is a podcast that I created five years ago, I believe. So while at Netflix and it was just something for fun that I wanted to do was like create a podcast. It wasn't like Netflix is like, Hey, we should create this and, and do it had nothing to do with Netflix. Yes. We and drink good whiskey and drink good and whiskey drink that good, you can't good, go wrong yeah. with that. Right. And 
it, it's yeah, it was, but there again, that was just something that was fun and light is like we talk about engineering and software with and there's other panelists outside of Netflix from other Bay Area companies like Airbnb or Twitch Atlassian, um, which is great. And it's like we just talk about engineering things that we love doing. Um, it's it could be beneficial to Netflix in the sense that we're sometimes we're talking about some Netflix technologies and everything like that. But um, yeah, I love that. I just love there again, the culture freedom to do those things. And I'm not, I don't want to hurt Netflix. I don't want, I, hopefully it's helpful. Um, but the idea is, is to spend time in the community. I love doing that. Thank you very much, Ryan. It was really, really good talking with you. Uh, we enjoy Netflix and uh, even much now that we know that it is really true on the inside. And it's really, it's really great. Yeah, it was uh, really fine uh, talking with you. We can find you on Twitter, right? Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty act, active on Twitter. It's probably the best place to get in touch with me. It's uh, Burgess, my last name, initial D Ryan. Um, so, yeah. or I'm sure you can just search Ryan Burgess and it's not too hard to find. Put in the description as well. I think Thank you're you. the only one. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think there's others. There's definitely, a, it's, a, it's a pretty common name. <laughs> Thank you very much, Thank Ryan. So much. Have a nice day. Thank you so much for having me. This is a lot of fun. You both, thanks for having me. It was great meeting Bye -bye. you. Thank you.